For this, our 10th season, we will focus on telling true stories about the men and women we have come to know over 28 years of recovery. Each episode will tell the story of what life was like as an addicted or alcoholic person, what happened to wake that person up, and what is life like today. Not all stories are ones of success. Some of our friends didn't make it as they relapsed and so far have not come in from the cold. Some died in circumstances that had nothing to do with their disease. Others had a rough start, but they persevered and now enjoy a full and productive life. Some are old guys like me, and others are relative youngsters who serve as great examples to other younger addicts. Our stories describe addicts and alcoholics of many different cultures, a range of socioeconomic status, different generations, gender types, and sexual preferences, if they're relevant to their story. I like to say that addiction and alcoholism are equal opportunity predators. They don't discriminate. And you will see how the stories we share about our friends will prove the truth of that statement. Episode 8, Season 10. Carrie, your back window is blown open. I've known Carrie for many years, but it took an odd question for us to actually get to know each other. Carrie was one of our agency's media planners and buyers. In case you don't know this, virtually every dollar spent by the brands you know, from pharmaceuticals to automobiles, is spent by media buyers who work for a media buying agency or for a media department in an ad agency. Sometimes these big companies have their own in-house media buying agencies, but they actually pretty much act the same way. That means that media planners and buyers, wherever they work, have a lot of power and that the big media companies will pitch their channel to the buyers who then buy the program, station, or network on behalf of the client. This is also true for magazines and digital media. With millions at stake, the media reps, the people who represent the media, are very, very busy in pitching and selling the media properties they represent. That's a busy life. Carrie worked in this frenetic environment and went about her business in such a focused way that she barely said hello when we happened to cross each other, usually in the elevator upon arrival at the office in the morning. For whatever reason, she and I worked on different clients and rarely had business with each other. The few times we interacted, she was very direct, professional, and exceedingly polite. One day, she asked me about Alcoholics Anonymous out of the blue. Bruno, I hear you're an AA, she stated casually. That would be true, I replied in a rather matter-of-fact way. She went on to ask what she should do about her husband, who apparently had become defiant. He had been fired from his union job as a skilled tradesman, a plumber, as I recall, and now was either at the bar or home very late at night and causing all sorts of problems and chaos. Now, if you know anything about a union job, usually where you are known and have worked there for years, it's almost impossible to get fired from that type of job. You would have to have slept with a boss's wife or be thrown in jail for a violent crime to be fired from a union job. In other words, he ran afoul of both the company and the union, and they had no choice but to allow the parent company for whom he worked to let him go just like that. Perhaps his behavior also meant that he forfeited his hard-earned pension. Whatever the case, I could see that Carrie was beside herself with worry. She said that she wanted to talk to me about her husband, but I told her to give him my number if he wanted help. I also told her to give her husband the number to the AA central office 
and to charter a local treatment and detox center. And that's as far as I went. I have learned that an unsolicited call from a stranger is the last thing that motivates a practicing alcoholic to seek help. I also told Carrie that she should consider Al-Anon, which existed to help those who loved an alcoholic live more serene lives by taking better care of themselves. Carrie didn't like that idea at all. She must have been super sensitive or ashamed of having a husband whom she just revealed to be like that. I asked a few more questions, like how long had she been married? She said forever, which I took to mean that this was her one and only, and she had been with him for decades, perhaps. Whether they were struggling financially, and did they have any children? No, they were okay financially as long as she kept working, and they did not have any children. Let me know what else I can do for you, I said, sensing this was the end of a conversation she was reluctant to have to begin with. I also asked her to thank whomever it was that referred her to me, because I really didn't care, as long as I could help somebody, I thought. That was the last of our little talks, and she kept doing her thing week after week, month after month. I could see there was little spark, no humor or joy in her daily life. Well, I can help but wonder, I could greet her with, how's it going from time to time, and always get good, Bruno and you, and that would be about it. I could tell she was never in a mood to talk more. So as to taking care of yourself, I think you would agree that personal care extends to one's car as well. Carrie drove around with the back window of her car covered in plastic where a window should be. Now, this is a professional woman who parks her vehicle alongside others in the same building where we all park, and you can see her car from the second floor or the third floor. In most any city in the U.S., all you have to do is call a well-known car window replacement company. It'll come to wherever your car is parked and replace your windows, car's window just like that. This went on for months. One day, her boss, who also happened to be a close friend of mine, which is how I got this part of the story, asked Carrie gently what was up with her back window. It was getting cold and rainy, and there she was with a plastic window where, where a proper car window should be. This is what codependents do. They stop taking care of themselves in any way. I know something about this type of disorder. Addiction is surely a family disease. It takes everyone down with it, starting with the addict alcoholic and emanating outward from those closest to those further away. Carrie must have lived with the illusion that she could somehow control the alcoholism because it kept taking her down and down. Oh, I'll take care of that soon was her answer to her boss's question. Her boss, David, one of my dearest friends, was a most gentle soul and simply asked her to make sure she didn't do damage to her nice car or get sick from the cold wind blowing into the vehicle. Carrie was such a perfectionist at her job, and that was an asset since it involved crunching some big numbers, and the agency was liable for any mistakes when it came to investing their, the client's media money. But just like other codependents, she was also a master procrastinator about the things that should have mattered to her more. So instead of taking care of her own business, she made her husband her business. Even her job was seen as a way to keep their home afloat. I didn't see that she loved what she was doing because I rarely saw her laugh or smile. She was just kind of grinding it out day by day. She took sick leave, came back, and everyone knew she wasn't well at all. The bat window was finally replaced, but the oxygen in her life had almost dissipated. I wondered if the stress of being a caretaker, not a caregiver, had worn the poor thing down. 
she went home and then into hospice care, and that's where I lost track of her. That, that's not to my credit, to tell you the truth. I retired from the business a few years ago. I shall have to ask my friend David what did happen to Carrie. So what did we learn from the story about her? We learned that Carrie was an ordinary, nice woman who was overcome by the disease that her husband contracted through no fault of her own. Two, it became obvious that she was crying out for help, but she fervently denied the idea that there was anything wrong with her. Three, her codependency was so profound she stopped taking care of herself, focusing all her energy on the illusion, the myth, that she could help her husband stop his drinking. And four, the price that Carrie paid essentially meant her life. Her body and soul succumbed to the stress imposed by the family disease of alcoholism and resultant codependency. Our podcast is sponsored by SafeHouseRehab.com, a modern approach to recovery. To learn more, visit us at SafeHouseRehab.com.